headquarters to all yeah. units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in on this wonderful Friday morning to a new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this uh, normally weekly radio program. I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning, Chief. I had How's it going? Good. I had a thought last week when we decided to take time off for the holiday. We never date stamp these episodes. So, like, if we have to play a rerun, nobody knows where it's coming from. So, today is December 4th, 2020. <laughs> and uh, if, if we have to play this in, in the rotation going forward, we'll know that it's December 4th, 2020. Yeah. Um, so, let's start with the check of the weather. And then we'll talk about a couple newsworthy uh news items and then we're going to go right to the health report sounds good wtbr radar weather for the pittsfield area winter storm watch in effect from saturday morning through sunday morning today mostly cloudy a slight chance of rain showers this afternoon highs in the upper 40s southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts up to 20 miles per hour chance of rain 20 percent tonight mostly cloudy a chance of rain or snow after midnight lows in the mid 30s southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts up to 20 miles per hour becoming west after midnight chance of precipitation 30 percent weather forecasts for wtbrfm are provided by the national weather service All right, so let's follow up on that weather. We'll transition from there into the local news items. Uh, I guess the big weather-related news item is snow in the forecast. Yeah, I noticed an article, uh, maybe it's the same one you saw in iBerkshire's last night, uh, possible nor'easter. Yeah, I, I got a uh, I got an alert sent to my phone on the way in here this morning, actually. Um, it looks like they're calling for potentially six inches. Yeah. So, so we're going to go from fall to winter pretty much overnight. Yeah. You know what? It's the Berkshires. That's right. That's what happens. All right. I'm going to blast through these news articles really quick because uh, I know the doctor is joining us and he's got a statewide call that he, uh, he also needs to participate in. So uh, three news articles today, all taken from this morning's Berkshire Eagle. Um, first two from the front page. Uh, obviously, from a law enforcement point of view, I think the most significant one is... Um, Yesterday afternoon, District Attorney Andrea Harrington was joined by uh, Lieutenant Governor Polito, as well as Mayor Tyre and several other elected officials and Chief Wood from North Adams PD to announce the new, uh, to announce, but it's been meeting and working for a couple of months, the DA's office's new high-risk domestic violence team, which uh, our representative to the team is Officer Cheryl Callahan. Uh, The team is tasked with reviewing cases throughout Berkshire County and putting eyes on high-risk cases uh, with the goal of preventing domestic violence-related homicide. Berkshire County was the only county in the Commonwealth that did not have one prior to uh, this district attorney's administration. It was a a promise that she made. Um, You know, Lieutenant, you know we've been doing 
advanced domestic violence training for years using the uh, the risk assessments and the strangulation assessments and trying to implement them um, because you know homicide prevention is is serious business and uh, we should be spending time on that so again officer callahan has been our liaison to that she's been involved in that work she also sits on the um domestic violence advisory uh panel over there so um happy to see that announcement this you know going from heavy to light and i'm a um, little i have a personal interest in, in this one uh one berkshire uh, which you know many of us remember it used to be the chamber of commerce but they've kind of changed their mission and changed their branding they had their annual meeting yesterday they announced that despite the pandemic they um generated 1.4 million dollars in revenue they've uh, been diversifying their revenue stream because traditionally they were simply membership based and it wasn't sustainable they've gotten into um several other you know, like advertising and uh, promoting the Berkshires. One Berkshire's a great organization. I have a personal stake in it. I used to be involved in the um, steering committee for their youth leadership program, spent years going on the retreat with the high school students who participated in that. Um, not able to do that anymore, but loved it. And uh, I'm excited because my friend, um, our friend, uh, Danielle Gonzalez, who is uh, with Human Resources at Williams College, she uh, became the the president or uh, chair of their their board uh, she is the first uh, latinx and woman of color to serve in that capacity uh, and uh, it, i think the timing is right either just did or next month will be uh, my lovely bride is is also joining their board again as well so excited about that and of course one berkshire is a great neighbor you took the words right <laughs> out of my mouth. <laughs> and, and we conduct a lot of meetings and trainings. And uh, you were you were there, well, in the building. You were in the MCLA spaces yesterday. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that right after we talk to the doc. Or not. No, we have to. <laughs> um, real quick, I just want to draw attention. And this, this struck me this morning. And we tried to avoid talking about politics, you know, national politics on this program. It's not really germane to our mission, per se. But in this morning's Berkshire Eagle on page B2, um, Don Morrison has a column, and the title of it is The Tribalization of Truth in Our Country. And I'm not going to get into any detail about this and just sit and suggest, if you have the time, go read it. Essentially, uh, Mr. Morrison's hypothesis in this article is that a lot of the more outrageous statements that we're hearing people or have been hearing people say over the last several years, uh, it's stuff that's easily disproven, it may not actually be uttered because the speakers believe it, but just because it serves to align them with the faction that they feel most strongly about. It, it reinforces their membership. Ironically, he um, draws a comparison between some of these statements and Yakuza tattoos. So um, just check that out. It's food for thought. It's interesting. All right. So that's enough of news-related articles. Lieutenant, let's uh, welcome the doctor and get the health report. All right. Um, <clears throat> we can, can you hear us, Doc? I can hear you. Can you hear me? We okay. can. And now we can see him. All right. Here we go. Good morning, doctor. Good morning, chief. Good morning, lieutenant. So here's the health report for Friday morning, December 4th, 2020. Um, reporting here from the health department via Zoom. Uh, first on my agenda here is to report about Hillcrest Commons. The nursing home, as probably everybody knows, was hit by coronavirus these past couple of weeks. 
The current in-house census is 184 people, and I'll just give some, some pertinent uh, statistics here. There have been 166 total COVID cases uh, in the, uh, amongst, uh, amongst residents in the facility. 160 are active. In other words, six have been uh, uh, released from, uh, from care. They have uh, completed their isolation. Most, I will, I will mention, are mildly ill. However, there are 16 residents still in the hospital, two staff in the hospital, and sadly, uh, the death toll at this point stands at 13 from that facility. They're doing frequent testing of staff and residents. Uh, they have established good procedures and logistics for cohorting patients. In other words, cohorting means you put a certain a group with a certain a characteristic together. So people who are COVID positive or are all on one or two wards uh, apart from people who have not become infected. And they are certainly providing for everybody's essential needs there. Again, it's a, it's a sad situation, but I, um, having been on a number of conference calls with the administration there and uh, a support group and epidemiologists from the state who are advising them, they do have their, um, their ducks in a row at this point and are taking care of things in a, in a, uh, in a positive way going forward. The other thing I'll report here is that, uh, as, as again, as most people probably know, our restaurants have reopened uh, for in, in, indoor table service uh, dining. This is a result of a Board of Health meeting uh, which took place Wednesday evening, uh, Board of Health of which I am the chair. And we voted to resume indoor dining with certain modifications. In contrast with the state allowance of 10 people per table, the Pittsfield order says that no more than six people can be at a table. And that it's important to make the distinction here with what used to be, where people used to be able to take their masks off when they sat down at the table. Now people can only take their masks off when they're eating or drinking. In other words, you sit down, you, you gathered with friends, got to keep your masks on when the food arrives you can take your masks off when the plates are taken away if you're going to be sitting around at the table for a while you have to put your masks back on to have the conversation there's also going to be extensive signage around the restaurants and um, also on tables reminding people about the masking order uh, we've also recommended to restaurants that they appoint a covid monitor at each restaurant, delegate one employee to be a COVID monitor to make sure that all of these guidances are being complied with. And uh, we are going to be having a regular Zoom conference with restaurant owners going forward every two weeks so we can maintain a good line of communication with them and see how things are going. And they can also report to us how things are going in their restaurants. We certainly, uh, I speak for the entire Board of Health uh, in wishing them well for long-term success. And it's important to emphasize here that it's, it's, the community, it's on the community as well to ensure success of the restaurants. That when you, the, the community comes into the restaurant and uh, good compliance with these health and safety regulations is going to make it possible for them to continue providing that service. <coughs> 
Next is the uh, issue of testing and good Doc, news. Doctor, can I ask you a couple follow-ups yeah, on ahead, restaurants? Sure. So one thing that I know we discussed in the task force meeting, and it was in the announcements that I don't think you mentioned, is uh, one member of every party is going to be required to provide. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention that. You're right. So Yeah, one one member of every party is uh, will be giving a phone, providing a phone number so that in case there is a... Um, a case that arises from that restaurant, a, a person who patronized the restaurant and uh, or, or either involving a, a customer or a staff person, we will have that phone number so that we can get the names of people who are in that person's party so we can do contact tracing. And, and just last point before you move on to the testing, um, because when in a task force meeting, I mentioned that when table seating was allowed prior to the November shutdown, I had seen on occasions that people would get to their table, take their mask off, and then once their their order was placed or uh, their meal was delivered, move within the restaurant with their mask off, and nobody was addressing that. Uh, and so as part of this order, the restaurant is, is required and it will be held responsible for enforcing that behavior, correct? That's correct. Uh, as much as people want, would like to be social, that is... Uh uh, strenuously uh, discouraged people sit at your table stay at your table don't move around don't socialize with people at other tables because that's just how disease gets spread and it is not part of this group of regular recommendations or requirements but i'm just going to say it because it's my personal belief if you can keep your party to people who live under one roof do that <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right sorry doctor exactly. go, go ahead so, if you if you if you if you're a single person and you know six, five other singles, it's not necessarily a good idea to have a group of six with six single people from six different households to uh, to make an exaggeration to make that point. You're right. Try to keep it to your own household or as few households as possible. Thanks for reminding me about that, Chief. Moving on to testing. Good news. The uh, Broad Institute, uh, spelled like the word broad, B-R-O-A-D, the Broad Institute out of Cambridge is going to be taking over the bulk of testing in the community affiliated, uh, especially the testing that occurs through Berkshire Medical Center. And they are going to provide us with a much better level of service than what we have uh, become used to here. Uh, they can provide results of PCR tests within as quickly as 18 hours, uh, but probably no longer than two days, whereas a lot of people have been waiting more than two days, three, four, five days sometimes for the results. So we're excited about that and that we can get results in a quicker turnaround time. And the quicker you get results, the better it expedites the contact tracing that needs to occur so we have we'll have positive results and then we can check out we can check um, off who ha who has been a contact of those of that uh, positive case and uh, it just makes the whole process work a lot quicker so we're excited about the fact that there's going to be quicker turnaround time for testing starting next week and that's about it um, we continue to receive many calls at the health department from uh, citizens, daycare centers, businesses, uh, local college, um, just about everybody who have has questions and uh, or they think they might have been exposed and we're answering all those calls and we welcome you to call the health department if you have any 
questions at 499-9411 and uh, continue to wear your mask. It really does work. Just uh, the vaccines are on the horizon. And uh, but until we have a significant number of people in our community who are vaccinated, masks are essential. So don't let down your guard. Keep them on your face. Thank so you. Just one last point before I let you go, doctor. So I was watching the morning news cycle, and you and I have spoken about this in the past. We, we talked about it when we were trying to decide, you know, what we were going to go doing in the Thanksgiving holiday. So this morning, we, we're one full week, right? seven full days out from the Thanksgiving holiday. We're just entering the period where potential contamination from Thanksgiving is now going to start to potentially show symptoms and or uh, test positive. So the increased numbers we've seen in the last week are not necessarily related to Thanksgiving. They're well, related to community spread. We're still waiting for the Thanksgiving numbers. Well, you know, actually, we have seen the, uh, a, a bump in cases in the last week related to Thanksgiving, much like the bump in cases we saw following Halloween, okay. which where we saw the bump in about five to six days. We're now a week after Thanksgiving, and we are definitely seeing uh, a, a hike in cases related to, to that uh, holiday. Uh, today we have, I know we have at least 34 new cases, which wow. is a, a tremendous number. So the important it's window probably, is... It's probably going to be more than 34. It's probably going to be in the 40s. And we have seen numbers like that all week. And it's just creating a, a mountain of work here at the health department. So just so I understand that our listeners and viewers understand, it's it's the four to eight day incubation time that's we're looking for the bump, not the eight to ten day period. Right. People can become uh, sick as as quickly as two days after exposure, but generally they will have uh, developed symptoms if they're going to by eight days. Okay. So the other the other time uh, uh, periods you were talking about relates to quarantine. Under the current new mass DPH guidelines, people who are close contacts of a COVID positive person will remain in quarantine for eight days, uh, observing for symptoms. And if by eight days they have not developed symptoms, they can test because people can become COVID positive even without symptoms. So at eight days they can test. And if the test is negative at eight days, by, by the passage of the 10th day, two more days, if that test turns out to be negative and they still have not developed symptoms, they are good to go. And they are out of quarantine. Previously, you had to be in quarantine for 14 days, but now it's been shortened to 10. Great. Thank you for clarifying, doctor. I know you have this other meeting, so we're going to let you go. Thank you for joining us this morning. You're very welcome. Thank you. Have a great weekend, sir. You too. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks doc. Hey, Lieutenant, I just realized for the first time that you have a monitor over my head where you can see me when I'm on camera, but I don't have any way of knowing when I'm on camera. <laughs> we need to talk to the I, guys. I try to keep it to when you're talking. <laughs> we, we need to talk to the guys from TVR and put a monitor in that corner. <laughs> All right, so this has been a very unusual week for the PPD. 
I mean, not it related to like normal police operations and the stuff that we oftentimes talk about this, but with just some of the other stuff that, that has to happen in order to keep a police department going. Um, some of which we've talked about in different ways in, in the past. But, um, you know, we were hoping Officer Derby would be able to join us today. They're, they're in a training cycle, so that's not going to happen. Um, but he's been very busy with a project where we were going to start. But you reminded me, you reminded me twice this weekend, first of all, my sincere apologies for sending you a SCOM on Thursday. <laughs> I'm right. so sorry. I had it off, so I, 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 I'm I, glad. I, I grabbed it at lunch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so you participated in a process yesterday. Yeah, it's the, a process. You, you did the last ones, right? You, I did. You promoted off of the last ones. Um, no, I didn't promote off the last ones, but I did participate. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what we're talking about is we, we, we're still a civil service department. We need to maintain a civil service list of eligible people for promotion. And several years ago, we switched commander positions, uh, lieutenant and above from the written test to an assessment center. An assessment center is, uh, in this case, half day long, right? Um, full, full, full day, full day long. <laughs> yeah. They didn't pick, they, they, did them simultaneously. Well, yeah, they did. And it, okay, it's so it's dependent on you know the number of candidates right. they have and the number of ranks they have to test. Right. So uh, we were able to get it done um, uh, for the captains. It was uh, it was a full day. Okay. Lieutenants was three quarters of a okay. day. Yeah. So um, you know, and depending on the 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 rank you're going for, sometimes multi day um, exercise that are scenario based fact based scenario based in real time so we've talked in the past we do reality based training for patrol response we do reality based training for icat we do reality based training for cit and now we do reality based testing for command promotions um so again i apologize for sending you messages during the middle of your assessment day uh, and I know, because I have been through the assessment center process several times, that the details are confidential and we can't talk about them. Um, but we can talk about it in general. Mm -hmm. So how was your day? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It, it, it really comes down to it's a training day. It, it, that's the mindset that, that I kind of went in with and I, I proceeded through it with. So, very similar to what we were doing with ICAT. You know, so, we would put people into scenarios. And so you assessed to uh, be eligible for promotion to captain. Yep. Which is cool. It, it makes me feel so when the list comes out, soon, um, when you're on it, when the list comes out, when you're on it, because I'm confident that you did very well, uh, that will put us in a good position for the department going forward, which means I can start to explore some more options. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many exercises did uh, did a captain's candidate go through? Five. Five. Yeah. And I, I, I think I know um, which five they picked. So for our listeners and viewers, the way this works is we signed a, um, we, the city of Pittsfield, because the fire department moved in this direction as well for some of their ranks. I don't know if they're doing it for all of their ranks. Uh, we have a multi-year contract with a vendor who is an assessment center provider. They do other services as well. Um, this vendor has been in this business for a number of years, both in their current in, in uh, their current um, existence, and actually the the proprietor of this business used to do it for the Mass Chiefs, uh, and so 
we've worked with them on a variety of projects. They uh, submitted a bid and were selected to be the vendor. We've been with them for three years now, I think. We've done assessment centers for police lieutenant, police captain. And I don't know what ranks within the fire department, but they've done some of the command ranks within the fire department as well. Um, they come out, you know, they, they, um, we, we tell them that we've arranged space for them. They come out, they bring role players and assessors. In our case, uh, most of the role players and all of the assessors are experienced, either active or retired chiefs of police. Uh, and then they put you in a situation where they throw a fact pattern at you, maybe start throwing some questions at you, uh, and you respond. Yep. Uh, and and the cool part about working with this vendor, and I've been they, they actually were on the phone with me um, again on Wednesday, is as they know they're coming out and they're scheduling this, they will ask me very specific questions, um, and I don't want to. Again, we don't get any details, but let's just say we had a lot of questions and discussions in the last year, or the, the I'm sorry, in the last you know month, month and a half that they were setting this up, about our um, post-officer-involved shooting and critical incidents policy, about our crime scene uh, or large-scale incident command policies, um, about areas where we've had... Uh, high disproportional numbers of reported gun violence about the shot spotter system about the police advisory review board and about internal affairs we had a lot of questions and conversations about those particular areas and um the policies that our supervisors and commanders are responsible for knowing or, or having access to to deal with those particular issues we also had several detailed conversations about some of the uh, protests that occurred between over the spring and summer in response to national incidents and our response to those protests. Uh, and so, you know, Wayne, the, the principal of the company, um, he he got into the weeds in some of this stuff to the point where, in at least a couple of days, I was sending him satellite images of particular intersections and particular businesses saying no this is this is where that would happen or this is what we just did uh to build these scenarios so unlike the written test which is based on a bunch of books that were selected by a bunch of academics i feel confident that our candidates who went through this they're responding with knowledge based on local requirements and and internal decision-making processes instead of some just theory so you know so they're going to evaluate were you familiar with the policy on what happens after you respond to a critical incident do you know what the notifications are um you know if you have to go to a meeting with representatives of particular groups are you familiar with the things that are important to them and the questions you might have to ask um if i'm out of town on vacation or training and you have to step up and, and act on behalf of the department. What are the expectations? You were out of town a lot yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> which which comes to uh, which comes to it. So I, I can't. I'm I'm helping another community with another process, and uh, we we did some scenario based stuff. And one of the scenarios was you're in charge. You're, you're selected for this job. You're out of town. Your sergeant's in charge. They call you in a panic. What are you going to do? Because right? it happens, right? It happens. Um, I don't think I've talked about it on, on this program. When I took over the department 
in December of 2007. I, it, it, was, it was like drinking water out of a fire hose. And I think I went almost six weeks without taking like a full day off. And finally, it got to be mid-January, and I, I just I couldn't do it. So um, we went away. And it just so happened that we went to Martha's Vineyard. And if you take the ferry out to Martha's Vineyard, you know, you book your tickets, you, you book your ticket out, you book your ticket back. There's not a whole lot of leeway to change that return ticket. Well, we had an incident happen. It was a three-day weekend. We had an incident happen on Saturday night. And my return ticket on the ferry wasn't until Monday night. And we were up in Aquina, so there's no cell phone service. So the incident happens on Saturday night. I don't drive down to, like, Edgartown or Oaks Bluff until Sunday afternoon. So I don't get the messages or the notifications till Sunday afternoon. I can't get off the island till Monday night. Sorry, right? Yeah. You know, you're 72 hours into this emergency. Somebody else is handling it. That's a reality. Um, yep. So we need to test for that. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, as you said, it's, it's quite a process. I think there's a lot of value in, um, in, in the assessment compared to, you know, just, an academic test, you know, it, like like you said, it's you're talking strictly uh, book knowledge, which is, you know, general to Massachusetts yeah. versus, you know, how are on on the spot how you're going to handle a situation in the the what, city that you work in. What is our climate? What is our culture? What are our expectations locally? Not just you know what's the standard out there. Yeah. Um, you know, four years ago, I had to go through the assessment center again for the chief's right process. When Mayor Tyre came in, she made some promises. She wanted to follow through on those. My previous assessment center was expired. I had to take it again. And uh, so without getting into the weeds on this, and don't, you don't have to say this, one of, I've gone through several assessment centers, and one of the common things in almost all of my assessment centers is a community meeting. You're going to go to a meeting on a particular subject and there will be multiple community members there and they're going to throw some questions at you. And I thought I was ready for the assessment center because the way I had I had helped prep the assessment center. I didn't know the details, obviously, because I was a candidate, but I helped pick the vendor. Right. So we had to go through that process. And uh, I went down the hall to go into the community meeting expecting to see five police chiefs who were role players. And they put five real Pittsfield residents from five different disparate groups affinity groups or, or interest groups in that room i opened the door i looked in there i was like oh my god <laughs> and uh, i don't know you know i'm assuming it was, this was the same for you we had aliases assigned we weren't supposed to be ourselves, and i was so overwhelmed by looking and seeing five people i knew that i started my response and i introduced myself as myself because i had been doing that for 10 years right um and i had to stop it and, and dial it back <laughs> but um you know it's it's stressful it's pressure. Yeah. So how do you think you did? We'll see. <laughs> I'm sure you did fine. I'm sure you did fine. All right. It's time for another check of the weather, station identification, and some PSAs. We'll be back for the bottom half of the show. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Winter storm watch in effect from Saturday morning through Sunday morning. Today, mostly cloudy with isolated showers. Highs in the upper 40s. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts up to 20 miles per hour. Chance of rain 20%. Tonight, mostly cloudy. A chance of rain or snow after midnight. Lows in the mid 30s. 
southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts up to 20 miles per hour, becoming west after midnight. Chance of precipitation 30%. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal Credit Union with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair, one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people they support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. PCTV and WTBR are committed to serving our community in this difficult time. We will bring you live coverage of press conferences and official statements from our government officials on PCTV CityLink Channel 1303, on the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page, and on WTBR as they happen and as we are able to do so. Please stay tuned to our channels and our social media for updates on press conferences and other important information pertaining to the ongoing pandemic. I haven't been in studio in a while. I'm looking around, well, you know, we're playing the PSAs and, and the weather. It's all kinds of new gear in here. We got a new clock. Yeah, the new clock. I, I mentioned that this morning. That's pretty cool. That thing's awesome. We got all these new, like, stand-up banners from the telethon. Yeah. They broke a record on the telethon. Oh, yeah? Yeah, fundraising record. It was awesome. Yeah, that, it, just at the end of our segment, right? Yeah. They had, yep. Yeah. Right. We should do like a virtual tour, like a, you know, we'll use a webcam and kind of like do pan the it uh, pan it around the room. Now that we kind of have the Skype and, and Zoom capability, there's a lot of gear in this little room. Oh yeah, a lot of gear. Yeah. All it's, right. Uh, it can be a little bit intimidating, you know, if it's if something goes off course a little bit. Like, I know what we do, but there's a lot of other buttons. <laughs> That's why you're on that side of the plexiglass, and I'm on this side of the plexiglass. I, I was going to play one of our, our PSAs, but they're not labeled, and we haven't done any. Like, yeah, we need to get we need to read. We need some. to get Mark and Darren out here to record some time appropriate PSAs. Yeah, I think there's one in there. You know, the weather's getting nice. Yeah, he keeps saying the weather's getting nice. People are going to be outside. Like, come on, man. <laughs> All right, it's not their fault, right? Yeah, no, we got a ton, not at all. We got a ton going on. Yeah. Um, it, it would be good for Darren, while he's in a training cycle and he's got a probationer in the car, to get out here because can, you can get the probationer on the air too. You know? We tried this morning. They don't have any say in the matter. So. <laughs> <laughs> Our senior officers are like, no, nah, I don't think so. That's not for me. They managed to get the late on the way out here. Probationers don't have that. Yeah. All right, so... um. This is kind of a cool story. It, this is this is the this is 2020, right? Ups and downs. So, I have a friend. We have a friend, uh, Nicole Morris Ferry. She's now a supervisory, uh, regional supervisor with CSX Police. She used to be with uh, Hinsdale Police. Um, great, great person. Great cop. And uh, she has been with CSX for I don't know how long now. So it's a while. Um, She's got a huge geographic area of responsibility, but she takes really good care of us because um, you know, people don't know. Like I was on a, I was sending messages to a, a 
couple of guys I know who do a, a an international podcast. And they were trying to identify all the weird police agencies out there. And I, I sent them a message. I'm like, Amtrak has a police department. CSX has a police department. Like, people don't know that, right? There's yeah. all these weird, they all go to the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, last year we had um, a railroad fatality. And we're standing up there doing the scene and everything. And media, has, it was right near the Eagle. So the media is walking up. And uh, this weird unmarked vehicle comes rolling in, code two, with the lights going. And we're all like, what the hell is it? And guy gets out and he's CSX cop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? It's your railroad. Um, but in any case, uh, so maybe a little more than a month ago, um, she reached out for us. And she's plugged into an organization called the First Responders Children Foundation. And the First Responders Children's Foundation, uh, which I had never heard of before, um, they, you know, that's their mission to, to do things for the children of first responder personnel. And they reached out for us. They had this program going. And basically what they wanted to do is they wanted to give us some toys. And so. Obviously, you know, we're talking about giving stuff away and, you know, how do we coordinate that and, and for community engagement and community outreach, Officer Derby's kind of our go-to, so plug him in early, get him looped in on the email thread um, with Nicole, and we go back and forth, and then they share with us that they're, they're willing to provide toys for children of our personnel, but they're also willing to provide us with some that we can give away to the community, which is cool. If it's right in with our community outreach and community engagement efforts, we're not going to be able to do the the shop with a cop probably. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that's not going to be able to be done this year. So this this was a good, you know, stopgap. So we go back and forth in a couple emails and we got to figure out how many families of our serving personnel plus how many do we want to give away. So we're we get an email early this week telling us that we're supposed to expect a delivery. And and the first email was expected delivery of one pallet. And then it was updated. And we, hadn't, we didn't know it was coming, right? Like we had applied, we had been accepted. And then all of a sudden they're like, your delivery's coming tonight. No, tomorrow. So it's going back and forth. And then they upped it to two pallets. So I'm like, okay, we're going to get two pallets of toys. Half of them are for our personnel. Half of them are to give away in the community. And then I get a text message or an SCOM. And the truck was there. And they dropped off five pallets. So now we're like, ah. It's a Christmas miracle, right? <laughs> and by seven o'clock the next morning, we get an email that the truck was packed backwards, and that's not our stuff. It's that that's all of that stuff is for somewhere else. The truck is coming back with our stuff, and it was one pallet. So, but you know what? It's a pallet it's, of toys we didn't have. That's exactly it. Yep. And so, uh, Darren sent out some instructions last night. Um, normally, our association supported by our union, has a Christmas party for the children of our, particularly the young children of our, our working personnel. Can't do that this year, so they were, um, you know, there's still, you know, Officer Callahan is involved in this as well on behalf of the association, and she had put out an email. They got some great ideas, like maybe doing a sleigh ride or a hay ride or something, so yep. it's outdoor social distancing. And the association generally um, steps up and provides some funding for some gifts for the kids anyway. So they've They've basically figured out that you know they can do age appropriate. It looks like about uh, one gift per child for our sworn personnel who are you know school, probably high, younger than high school age. I think it goes fourteen and under. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, that'll still leave us with some that Darren and his team will be able to provide to families in the community that they've identified that might need a little help. Yeah. Not as much as we thought it was going to be, but more than we would have, have without this um, generous donation. So thank you to the First Responders Children Foundation. And uh, thank you to uh, 
Nick Morris Ferry for always thinking about us and keeping us in mind when these opportunities uh, present themselves. Yeah, that's. I think that's great. And, uh, yeah. you know, like I said, a little bit of a stopgap for something else that uh, another event that we're not going to be able to to go ahead with this year. Everything is different in 2020. Yeah. So the other thing, we talked about your assessment center. We talked about Darren and, and his ongoing efforts with the community engagement efforts. And, you know, I, I don't know what the guy. <laughs> so it's, it's ridiculous, right? You know this. Most residents and, and viewers probably don't know this. Some have probably seen it on some of our social media. Um, but for a tradition that I inherited from Chief Riello, shout out to Chief Riello, uh, and that we continued, and and I don't even know right now because everything has gone digital. It, it at this point, it's more it's more tradition than than it is actual function. Um, but we we historically procure a, a stock of day planners, pocket planners. Uh, historically, we got them because it made it really easy for our guys to keep track of their court notifications. Our people, our our you know our officers, to keep track of their court notifications. But because of the company we use and the way. Um, we order them, the minimum order is always more than what we actually needed. Uh, so we, we generally have surplus and, you know, we give some away. Um, I've, I've gone to elementary school visits where, you know, I see kids and they've got the PPD day <laughs> planner and it, it's cool. It's just, it's something that we've done. Uh, and one of the things that I started doing my first Christmas, so 20 some odd days after it took over command of the department. Uh, if we had surplus, when we had surplus, we take some and we give them to our colleagues across the street in City Hall. And so we go to the city departments and, you know, Maggie and I kind of make an afternoon of it. We put them together and she and I visit all of the office spaces. We, we hand out the day planners and it's just the way we mark the end of the year. Uh, we generally do it the, the week before the holiday. Well, last year, because of some stuff that I was doing to support Darren, and and just the way the opportunity presented itself, I actually bought a police blue Santa suit. Yeah, I remember right? that. Yeah. And so um, we put on I put on the Santa suit and we went and did the, the in-person deliveries that way, uh, which was funny and, and fun. And um, who was with us? Mr. Munn. Smart Gary. Oh, yeah. Well, well he he came to work closely resembling an elf. <laughs> right? So it was just funny. Um, but City Hall is close to the public, right? So we could do it, but we're probably not going to do the face-to-face deliveries. So I was thinking the other day, you know, I was like, figure out what I'm going to do with that Santa suit. You can't just let the year go without it. Well, the North Pole calling program is coming, but we can't do it from City Hall this year. So everybody's going to have to get their own list and do them from their own spaces. So put the suit on and make the calls and maybe do some live streams from that. Keep so. the beard. So <laughs> I, my, my plan when I started the No Shave November, because this is what I did last year, was to start it for No Shave November, get through the month of November, and then I'll keep it to the end of the year, right, just for that reason. Yeah. But I, all full disclosure, I did such a bad job because basically working remotely half the time of keeping it properly trimmed that this week I had to trim it and uh, I, it went way too short, <laughs> right? Instead of just cleaning it up, I was like starting again. So it's not going to be full on Santa for Christmas this year, but we'll, uh, I will do a better job of keeping it trimmed. I, I could probably week. stop right now shaving and have one by Monday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, 
it it was it had come in good in Santa White, but it was growing in all different directions. <laughs> it had to go. <laughs> um, all right, so we don't we're, we're coming up on halfway through the bottom of the, the show. Uh, so we started talking before we came on the air. So technically, this was supposed to be um, most of this was supposed to be a week off for me. I was trying to burn some time that's accumulated in the books, but it also was the first opportunity that I've had in nine years that something didn't come up and force it to be canceled to participate in the Daigle Law Group's annual Use of Force Summit, which is a nationally recognized, internationally recognized training that we've sent personnel to for, its. this was its ninth year, we've sent personnel for, if not everyone, most of them. And uh, I've been registered to go in the past, and I've been canceled every time because of something that was going on uh, at work that required my attention. And so this year, because of the pandemic, they went virtual, and the fact that I was scheduled to take some time off anyway, which meant I could pick to work from home if I wanted to or attend from home without distractions, I actually got to participate in nearly all three days of training. I had to jump onto a task force meeting for, um, for a couple hours in the middle of one day, and I had to take a couple phone calls and meetings. Um, but for, for the most part, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, with brief interruptions, I got, to, I got to train. And as we were saying before we came on the air, if you go, similar to when I said, you know, the IACP conference virtually this year, there was no lost time going from session to session, right? You just, you went to a, a session, and then if you chose to go right into another session, you just hit start, and you went right into another session. You have to run through the conference center. Uh, if I wanted to get something to eat, just walk upstairs, get something to eat, go back to my office, eat during the session. Um, so no lost time. And the other thing is that the providers, in this case, the Daigle Law Group, which I'll talk about a little bit in a minute, uh, because nobody's traveling to attend, um, what they're doing is whatever format they're using. This was in GoToMeeting. Um, usually, when this when the conference is over, your access to those instructors and to those presentations is over. You go back home and that's it. If you didn't go to the session, you that's it. Well, what they're what the IACP and now DLG are doing is, if you registered for the session and you have your access credentials, they're leaving the content up. So, like the IACP content is up for a year and go back and revisit any of the sessions they didn't attend. And I think uh, DLG is doing either six or nine months. So I think I hit 12 sessions this week, but there's 38, 39 more sessions that I can attend, you know, as time allows in, in, in the next several months. And that's amazing because you never get to do that. You never get to see every session that you want to see when you go to a conference. Right. Um, the other part that was cool, I, I did it more during ICP. I, I did it. I didn't do it at all this time. Is they break you out into specialization groups, and there's chat functions and messaging functions within the platforms, so you can network virtually with your colleagues. Um, I took a session with a guy, an uh, uh, investigator who is a principal in a national association for force investigators. I didn't know this association existed. It's relatively new. Uh, during his presentation, he made a pitch. They gave us the link. I could, as I was in the session, click on the link, send them a letter of interest in my CV, and you know, now I get to join this new association of people who focus their attention on a area of investigation that I've specialized in in the last 15 years. So um, unbelievable opportunities. And being able to do that in real time 
without you know taking notes and then trying to remember to do it when you go back to the hotel room. It was it was pretty cool. Um, this whole pandemic has really pushed along all all this you know this uh, what is possible yeah 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 and you know we've said it in the past we all want to get back to pre-pandemic normal it's not going to happen it's, it's going to be the new abnormal yeah but the question is what are the things that we've gained as a result of this that should never go back to what we remember i've said it on this program before Prior to the pandemic, I was told repeatedly we could not attend statewide meetings, like I'm on Homeland Security Advisory Committee. Couldn't hold those meetings virtually. Not allowed. It's almost two and a half hours of travel for me to go attend one of those meetings, which usually lasts about 50 minutes. It's not effective. And when I asked if I could teleconference, they said, nope, not allowed. It's a state committee. Well, now we have to. Don't tell me after the vaccines are out there that it's not possible or allowed. I'm not wasting half a day to attend a 50-minute meeting when you made me do it virtually for a year. Right. Right? So those things should never go back to normal. And for those of us in Western Mass who often get short-shifted by the Commonwealth because they expect us to drive to Boston to be heard on these things, no. It doesn't matter anymore. We can, be, we can participate more actively in our government because we've, we've shown what is possible. Right. That should never go back. Um, you know, some things, definitely. Uh, my lovely bride was talking the other day. If, if, when the vaccine is out and we can go back to, you know, not maintaining social distance, if you run into her in public and she just spontaneously hugs you, I'll apologize right now. <laughs> right? She's, she's in withdrawal for hugs. So um, beware, be aware of that. Um, we're, oh, so we were talking about DLG. No, before we talk about DLG, I have to get this in because we're going to run out of time. So I put a post up um, on my personal stuff this week. I, I was so excited. It, I'm, I'm going to fanboy a little bit here. So we had two keynote addresses a day. But Wednesday afternoon's keynote, which was just under an hour, was um, Marcus Luttrell. Oh, yeah. Chief Marcus Luttrell. Uh, for those of you who are listening who recognize the name but really can't uh, place it, Marcus Luttrell is the lone survivor. And uh, he's a Navy SEAL whose team was compromised uh, on a mission. He's blown off the side of a mountain by an RPG. The rest of his team, unfortunately, was uh, killed in action. He survived, was taken in by some uh, Afghani tribesmen, and after several days... Um, when the Taliban was actively trying to get them to turn him over, uh, was rescued by a joint group of, I, I want to say it was special ops and rangers. I might have that wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've read his book, Lone Survivor. The, the movie is, is phenomenal. Uh, he and his brother um, founded the Team Never Quit foundation and uh there's 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 some foundation work that they do they have a weekly podcast the team never quit podcast is which is one of the ones that's in my rotation he's just somebody that i have really come to admire um, not only because of the adversity that he went through but his his mission and his focus now Uh, and so attorney daigle eric daigle had reached out for him and asked him if he would talk to us, first responder instructors and uh, commanders, about resiliency in the face of adversity. 
And I can't think of anybody better qualified to talk about resiliency in the face of adversity. But, um, you know, such a down-to-earth guy, right? He's from Texas, heavy, heavy Texas draw, big, larger-than-life personality, uh, but cool, right? So that that was awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was um, for somebody that I, I have followed with interest for a number of years to be able to see him virtually and listen to him talk was cool. And in this year has been amazing that way, right? Uh, during IACP, Simon Sinek, who is an author I follow, General Stanley McChrystal, um, you know, these are people that probably wouldn't get to see in person. So pretty cool nice. on that. Yeah. So wrap this part up. So uh, Daigle Law Group, I just got to give a shout out here. Um, Eric Daigle is the principal and the founder of Daigle Law Group. I, I have known Eric, Attorney Daigle, since before... He founded DLG um, early, early on in my training career as a taser instructor. He had recently transitioned out of the Connecticut State Police. He had finished law school. He had, you know, gained some experience. And he was just starting to really dip his toe into specialized law enforcement training or law enforcement risk management training. And that's what he does. Mm -hmm. um, and my very first school my very first training on taser and taser policy and taser liability was a training he offered down in connecticut that officer gainer and i drove down to it was right before i became a taser instructor so that's god 15 years ago now maybe more 16 years ago um since then he has focused his attention expanded his his area and he has gained national prominence as a risk management attorney and instructor and he has expanded and formed what is now Daigle Law Group. It's a Connecticut-based law group. They do policy development. They do risk management. They do investigations. They teach internal affairs. And another Eric, uh, Eric Estepenis, who is also corporate counsel for the Mass Chiefs, is an instructor and a staffer for DLG with a bunch of other, you know, just amazingly talented people. So for the last maybe seven or eight years, the two Eric's, they've really been expanding their national and international footprint. And like every year I travel to IACP, I can pretty much guarantee that if I want to, I can go see a workshop or a seminar with one and or both of them, often together, which is hilarious because they, they, they just got great personalities. They'll like play walkout music. And a couple of years ago, I was at IACP. Eric Daigle was presenting to us while Eric Estepenis was presenting at like an internal affairs seminar somewhere. And I'm in a session with one talking with the other texting. Right. And just, you know, calling them out about their call out music and stuff. Uh, but just great guys, uh, incredibly talented attorneys, incredibly talented risk managers and instructors, but also just, you know, people who I've, I've come to consider friends. And um, I was so excited to see, Eric Daigle's group able to deliver a top-notch, top-quality international summit with the team that he's assembled in, in his Connecticut headquarters. They were in the DLG offices in their brand-new studio in Connecticut. I, don't, I think they said at one point for like one of the keynotes, we had something like 600 participants coming in from all over the world. Um, it's it's been a meteoric meteoric rise for a group that we spend not a ton of time with, but a, a good amount of time with. You know, I'm on the phone with Eric Estepenis 
probably monthly. I'm emailing him more. Uh, but these are, you know, like I was in a session at IACP and Eric Daigle mentioned um, the formula developed. I got back to the office. I emailed him. I'm like, you can pop that to me? It, you know, minutes. So um, I'm super excited for, for all of the, the uh, staff and, and members of DLG, but I'm really, really super excited for, um, for Attorney Daigle because he has just taken this this narrow niche interest and hey i'm the taser guy from connecticut and and now he's you know i always say that you know there's there's a handful of nationally ranked law enforcement instructors many of them have been at it for several decades now they're all aging out they're getting ready to retire he is definitely you know poised to make that next step um so that's pretty cool yeah it's good that we have you know people of that caliber um, with those talents advocating for our profession and yeah. what is, you know, essentially and, a watershed year for us. <laughs> and if, if there was one thing that he mentioned in both his introduction and his keynote, and that's a great way of wrapping this up, is we need people to advocate for us. Yeah. And we need to advocate for ourselves. Um, because the narrative that is being presented is not the truth. Right. And if we don't present a narrative that's more representative of the truth nobody is so we we have to do a better job of that which circles back to the article you mentioned <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it really does circle back to that right but we got a couple minutes left um i, I popped up the officer cultural development cult, city of pittsfield cultural pittsfield this week newsletter i do want to take a couple minutes with this because this um there's some pretty cool stuff going on the first thing is that the um the annual wreath sale, which normally is kind of like in-person bidding auction, can't happen that way as well, uh, obviously. But the wreath sale is going on to benefit South Congregational Food Pantry. Uh, there's an article in the Eagle today about the setup for it. But uh, today, Friday, December 4th, from noon to 6 p.m., uh, variety of wreaths created by local artists, and they're over at the Liechtenstein. Uh, small numbers, you got to wear a mask to get in. But all that money is going to South Congregational Food Pantry, so support that. The other thing that's going on that's very cool, and I, I have to apologize because I haven't actually bought the new book yet. I, I'm always kind of like at the front of the line to do this. I just haven't managed to do it. Um, local author, publisher, motivational speaker, literacy, financial literacy coach, literacy advocate, Ty Allen Jackson has released his newest book, his fourth or fifth book, The Super Duper Kid 2, Move. Uh, it's out. It's available. You can buy it uh, straight from Big Head Books or, you know, go down to the office and check it out. But because um, they couldn't do what they were going to try to do with the like live theater performances of the previous book, which has been done by Barrington Stage locally, um, Barrington Stage did something pretty cool. They recruited a bunch of youth actors and they recorded a reading instead of a performance of the new book. Uh, the Super Duper Kid 2, Move, and that reading, the virtual reading, is available now for streaming for free. Uh, so it's if you go to Barrington, uh, Barrington Stage, you can check that out. Free virtual reading of the Super Duper Kid 2, Move, uh, through their website, check out the story. Again, local, local author, local publisher, local motivational speaker and coach. So with that, there's a ton of other stuff going on locally, um, 
you know, all of our cultural destinations, all of our cultural venues. Restaurants are open in Pittsfield for sit-down dining with the rules that Dr. Kohlberg mentioned again. So be safe, be healthy, but don't be afraid, right? Be careful, but don't be afraid. Got who, um, oh yeah, the Festival of Trees started. It's been displaced from the museum. It's moving out into the county. So check out the museum's website for where those trees can be seen. And with that, I think it's ready to wrap it up. Lieutenant, have a great weekend. You too, Chief. Listeners and viewers, have a great weekend. Be safe, be well, be healthy, and most importantly, be kind. We'll see you next week for another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television.